You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. I don't try and get anybody to believe anything. I don't care what you believe. It's your business. Uh, For those that believe, no proof is necessary. For those that don't, no proof is sufficient. I can't make you believe something you don't want to believe. I can only tell you my experience. This is my Uncle Dennis, the medium. My experiences in reading came about because through the course of having normal jobs, working in a warehouse, driving a floor truck, whatever I was doing, every job I had either didn't last, they closed, or I was fired. And it's not that I wasn't a good worker, it was just that's the way it happened. The last job I had, which I plan on staying at, they closed. And at that point in time, I thought to myself, you're either going to do something you enjoy or something you can do, or you're going to start at the bottom wrong again. And I just didn't want to do that. So I picked up the tarot deck, which I hadn't used in a long time. And I began to realize that, you know, people were interested. He learned to read tarot from his mom, who learned from her mom, who learned from her mom. On the face, they were average, low-income New Englanders. But in private, the family had been working as mediums, readers, and psychics everywhere from New Age shops to tea rooms, sort of an old-timey undercover way of saying New Age shops. And at one point, for the Boston Police Department, cops suck, don't do that, for generations. I got to speak with my uncle Dennis a few weeks ago while my mom was visiting him and my auntie Karen in South Carolina. Mom's dad, my grandfather, just passed away and she's down there to be with them and remember and hang out. They retired there a couple years ago, but Uncle Dennis, Dennis Callahan, fourth generation hereditary witch, according to his website, still does do readings. He grew up in what used to be a funeral parlor in Massachusetts. Sorry, funeral parlor in Massachusetts. That was mean. And he tells me that he became sensitive to spirits, seeing, hearing, smelling, beginning around middle school age. 
He's carried on the family tradition as a professional medium for decades now and was my first connection to spiritual ideas when I was really young. Well, him and a distant aunt named Susie who said I was cursed with negativity and wouldn't start living until I turned 30, which on the first point, kind of true. Second point, to be determined, I'm so fucking young and virile. But, you know, my parents were a little upset. You know, you probably shouldn't tell a 10-year-old that they're cursed. I don't think it's affected me, though. Uh, Just kidding. Anyways, Uncle Dennis, he's a medium. Except he doesn't like that word because it comes with all this baggage. When you have people talk about being a medium and a psychic, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean here, and I'm not saying I'm any better than them. I'm not, because there are true people out there that do that, but very few. Very few. These people are are, are sort of playing on people's emotions, and that's what they're doing. Somebody, you know, they lose a son uh, because of addiction. They want to talk to their son. They'll believe anything. Well, you know what? You don't choose who you talk to. When spirit comes through, you don't know who it's going to be, and if you don't know what you're doing, don't play with it. It is not a game by any stretch of the imagination. His current reading room has amazing light, these green walls, a pentagram area rug, a small table, and his tarot cards and runes. In a separate room is a table full of crystal skulls and a painting that needs to be seen to be believed. It was made by one of his longtime clients. I will try to do it justice. It is a painting made of my uncle looking very serious, holding a black cat and a sword. Below him are the phases of the moon. Beside him are a honking crystal and a goblet. Above him is Saturn, the stars, a glowing candle, and a massive, massive ghostly angel over his left shoulder, just arms outstretched with these big old wings and no face at all. It's, it's terrifying. It's magnificent. You gotta see this painting. Anyways, Uncle Dennis was a practicing medium and reader in Massachusetts. Could you tell that from the accent? I've spent years getting rid of that. But he's practiced forever there. And I'm biased in obvious ways, but I can say with certainty that he does not abide by anyone's rules on how living a spiritual life works other than his own. That is to say, he talks to ghosts, but he is not a member of Ghost Church. And of the mediums that I've spoken to, he's the most openly skeptical of a lot of readers working today. Let me show you what I mean. It's like the fake psychics. I'm I'm sensing the letter M. Okay, I agree. You're a moron. There's your M point, okay? (laughs) These are the most basic tricks that that they use. And it's like, that's. I I used to get very angry because it's like, that's not what I do. Okay, I'm, I'm reading a story. I'm looking at these things and putting these things together. Because people, of course, they're going to hear this and they're going to think I'm terrible. People are sheep and they're morons. They don't know how to ask a question. I would have people come to me and go, what color dress should I wear to the prom? You're going to fucking ask spiritists. What color dress should <laughs> you going to wear to the prom? Yeah, the Archangel Michael is sitting there going, I go with a baby blue. I come to this intellectual split in the road pretty often. You can believe in talking to spirit and think a lot of people who claim to speak with spirits are opportunistic assholes. 
Members of Casadega, the spiritualist camp that I visited this year, expressed similar views on mediumship, part of why the training at Casadega is so thorough. Without shutting the door to the possibility of communication, two things have to be true here, at best. I cannot, in good conscience, tell you that there hasn't been a shitload of fraud in this profession, just as, and I'll keep reminding you of this, every religion in existence is burdened with varying degrees of frauds who are happy to exploit the belief or vulnerability of somebody else. One thing that's very interesting about American spiritualism to me is that it's a religion that has existed entirely in a time of mass media, to some degree. Unlike most of the big religions, it's a little harder to gloss over any incidents of fraud or dubiousness because they're so well documented. It's not really possible to say, well, yeah, everyone was on board right away and anyone who wasn't was probably wrong. But in spite of the history of spiritualism being available in the public sense, most of it is associated with sensation and scandal. But it's a little harder to nail down the specifics of what spiritualists actually believe. Yes, death is merely a transformation of energy, but there's more than that. There's moving tables and spirit teams and divination tools and things that aren't immediately obvious in the Cliff's notes of their story. So today we return to Casadega for a gala day and for my first spirit message service. And we check in with the founding Fox sisters' first brush with modern celebrity, all before hitting the eighth grade. All right, let's get the theme going. Oh, actually, you know what? One more word from my Uncle Dennis. And I always tell people, if somebody was an asshole in life, they're an asshole when they're a spirit. Okay, you're not going to suddenly die and be a nice person. Oh, I'm dead. I better be nice. Thank you, Uncle Dennis. Okay, theme song. The day I arrive at Casadega, I am fresh off a sleepless night spent at a Super 8 on the outskirts of Orlando that was wedged between this mini golf course that had live baby gators. Is that legal? I guess it's legal. And an outlet mall where you can buy an absolute goblin of a knockoff Mickey Mouse toy. That's another thing about the Casadega community that has a clear bearing on the sorts of people who come to visit. It's only a half hour from one of the most synthetic tourist capitals on the planet. Just an Uber ride from Disney World, the kind of place that crops up in books with ridiculous fonts that say, weird Florida, and attract curious families on a budget between draining, financially punishing days at corporate theme parks. Now, Casadega predates all of this 
Floridian Excess. It was first founded in 1894 to Disney World's 1971. But there's no denying that in the current sense, it exists in the same financial ecosystem as the cursed mini mall you can buy a t-shirt at that says, Tinkerbell is my homegirl. Oh my God. And this is one of the main differences between Casadega and their sister camp in Lilydale, New York, which was founded in the 1870s in the Rochester and Buffalo area. And the same camp where the Fox House was relocated as a historical monument for a time before, like most spiritualist landmarks do for some reason, it burned down under mysterious circumstances. The Lilydale camp is its own organization, but is very close to Casadega in how it operates. Mediums live on site. They provide sessions and hold services. They often attract upstate New Yorkers on weekend trips, but not quite the tourist ilk that their southern sister camp does. Casadega exists in an area of infinity tourists, in an area where there's pretty low oversight as it pertains to uh, COVID safety. Remember, this is the land of Governor Ron DeSantis and an environmental climate where they can be open year round, where the often cold Lilydale can't. On the Sunday I get to Casadega, the mediums are exhausted. The previous day was their quarterly gala day, a fundraising event where camp mediums and community members give talks on their area of expertise and provide quick readings on the sidelines to raise money and keep the camp open. When I tell you this is not a religion of means, I'm not kidding. This event raised them about $6,000 and they're over the moon about it. I mean, they're struggling to keep their post office open. It all feels very Mickey Rooney, let's go in a barn and save the local whatever kind of vibe. I wasn't able to attend, but I do watch all of these gala day talks on Zoom on the bus from Tallahassee. And two mediums talks stand out to me in particular, in part because they have kind of the same old man boomer haircut, but also because the ideas that they're expressing are completely abstract and yet important to spiritualism. I want to tell you about them. The first is by Reverend Dr. Don Zangi, presenting a talk called Being Awareness. Reverend Dr. Don is another longtime Casadega convert, sharing more than a name with a main cast member of the show Oz. Yes, I did pick that up. Like, what? But anyways, Reverend Dr. Don Zangi approaches the podium in a Dan Flash's grade print, just an absolute dizzying vomit of patterns. And he also wears this Indiana Jones hat, reminding everyone that he'll be preaching tomorrow as well. A lot of his students are there. Don's students seem more fervent and loyal than any other group that I see on the campgrounds. And he's got one of the nicer houses that a medium lives in too. That's something that I come to know. You need to be a member of the community to own a house in the area, which requires not only the training, but approval from the board. There's a lot of things that involve approval from the board, including uh, me. Some of the houses in Casadega are in pretty bad shape because mediums don't make a ton of money for people who are consistently labeled as capitalist frauds. But the Reverend Dr. Don's house is tall, it's bright purple, it's got this golden metallic sun hanging on the side. It's bigger than most of the houses, more inviting, and again, constantly open to and brimming with students. He's also extremely influenced by Eastern, specifically Indian spiritual teachings, and has increasingly tied this into his own curriculum. Yes, he is an old white guy, and today he is talking to us about being awareness. He is 
a character. Today, we're talking about what awareness and consciousness is. Awareness or consciousness is everything seen or unseen. He tells us, gesturing to the crowd and telling us how to access the divine within us, spirit that exists in us, you know. Spiritualists believe in God, sort of, but not that judgmental, punitive God that most of them grew up with. They believe in a loving and forgiving God who moves the energy of spirit around the earth and through us all. So how do we access it? It strays into a combination of Eastern, Western, and Gwyneth paltrow philosophy. It's about ditching the ego of the lower self and accessing the egoless, present, higher self. Reverend Dr. Don says, Your lower consciousness, ego, personality is living in the three-dimensional world and has nothing to do with the divine within you. He's extremely charismatic, and I had to know who he was before he came to Casadega. He's got a weird journey, and that's saying something here. Don Zangi first learned about spiritualism at the Lilydale camp. Zangi is from the Buffalo area himself, and he'd worked locally at the zoo and the Museum of Science before starting a longer career at the Eric County Juvenile Detention Center. Being around troubled youth motivated Zangi to found a martial arts and self-defense school, with the idea being that kids needed a way to get out physical anger and aggression in a controlled space with discipline and structure. This was a huge success, and he had two schools with hundreds of students, and to this day is in the Black Belt Hall of Fame of Filipino Martial Arts in Manila in the Philippines. Just a quick aside, yes, this reverend doctor is also a sensei, and we just need to accept that. Okay, let that in. Sensei Don and become Reverend Dr. Don. And on one night in 1990, he went to a spiritualist message service in Lilydale, the same kind of service that I would be attending in Casadega. At each message service, mediums approach the podium, point at someone in the crowd, and give them a message from spirit right on the spot. It's pretty incredible, especially when it's done by someone as charismatic as Reverend Dr. Don, formerly Sensei Don. Like many in his generation, he'd been raised Roman Catholic, but spiritualism spoke to him, and he found himself in Casadega by 1991 and never left. Up until recently, the Reverend Doctor has run Sunday Lyceums in Casadega, essentially an adult Sunday school for spiritualists that he curated guest speakers for. Anyone can attend for free, and all of the lessons and talks are on YouTube. And the curation reflected Don Zangi's journey as well. Topics included spiritualism, comparative religions, natural law and parapsychology, and touch on Zangi's transformative experiences meeting an Indian guru named Satpal G. Maharaj, who visited Casadega in 2008 and profoundly affected the Sensei Reverend Doctor. Zangi went on to become a devotee of the guru and has visited Egypt, India, and Machu Picchu since. And he still remains a major proponent of incorporating more Eastern ideas into spiritualism as it exists today. When he took a step back from Lyceum in 2020 to focus on his classes, he told a local paper this. Our group is not a religion. Again, it's the teachings and experiences from what all religions have risen. I find that the teachings of spiritualism and the teachings of the guru are not incompatible. To me, they are part of greater whole. His students, both in Casadega and at a nearby ashram where they could sit for a weekend, satsang, where one listens to truth teachings, are all about Reverend Dr. Don. 
this man is so fast. Like, does he ever wear his black belt during class? I have so many questions. But Don Zangi is too busy telling me about being awareness. His advice is rooted in spiritualism, but it's basically a rehash of that billion dollar piece of advice. Be fucking present for once in your life and develop a deeper understanding of consciousness, man. Zangi expands on this by using a Hindu philosophical term called Turiya, a phrase which here means pure consciousness. He closes by saying, All right, you're awake. Well, maybe I put you to sleep, but you're awake. And that is the cult of Reverend Dr. Sensei Don Zangi. Another talk I heard at Gala Day was their keynote speaker, another Reverend Dr. Philip DeLong. I'll encounter Reverend Dr. Phil again during my stay at Casadega in a class called Healing 101 that he was kind enough to let me drop in on at Pastor Deb's suggestion. But the first time I hear him speak, he's talking about my spirit team. This is a concept that has actually gone kind of mainstream. You can find it in those YouTube videos I love watching. But it's also a little weird and a little abstract. Your spirit guides are, well, I had no idea. There's certainly plenty of groundwork that's been laid here for the concept throughout centuries of religion, but the notion is actually kind of specific here. It reminds me a little of how in Scientology you eventually learn that there's aliens, except this is spiritualism, and so they're not keeping anything from you. Your spirit team is just as normal a concept to them as standing and singing a hymn on a Sunday. Reverend Dr. Phil doesn't have the huge personality that Reverend Dr. Don does. He's a little shyer, more soft-spoken, still with an old man hat, but has a low gray ponytail and a soft voice. He has a full hour to talk to us and wants to use us to tell us how to meet our spirit guides. He shares a little bit about his journey to spiritualism. He had a near-death experience that pulled him into the religion. He is something called a crystal skull caretaker. He grew up Catholic. He was formally ordained by the International Association of Metaphysics. This is all very interesting to me, but what I'm more curious about is what people did before they became spiritualists, something that he is a little less forthcoming about than others I talk to. Reverend Dr. Phil tells us that there are extremely specific categories of spirit guides to learn from. Our guides are with us all the time, but the Reverend Doctor tells us that they do not interfere with our free will. There is the master guide, the spiritual guide, the emotional guide, and the mental guide. Reverend Dr. Phil says this. We appoint them, but it is all toward our spiritual development, how we treat our guides. And it is very powerful how you treat your guide. So, okay, it's most important to meet your master guide first. I default to what I think of as a master, which is a woman who is a little taller than me and clothes that fit her really well. And she has like this spine that looks good from every angle. When I think of master guide, I think of a woman who can really, really pull off a hat. A woman who would not have spoken to me in high school. But Reverend Dr. Phil says that the master guide is actually a very specific vision. Your master guide, he says, will appear to you in a cape. A cape. But okay. A spirit, in a cape, without exception. They gotta be wearing a cape, and they're your master guide. Reverend Dr. Phil says this. Some of you will be scared when you first see this guide, but remember, fear is the opposite of love. I promise myself, I will not fear the spirit in the cape when he comes. No way. Everyone has a master teacher, 
and every master teacher has mastered life and death. The next guide that we're introduced to is our doctor guide, who he refers to as the physician. This is the spirit guide that looks over your physical health. This guide is counterbalanced by the material doctor or the philosopher. This guide oversees our career and finances, and we call upon them to direct our decision-making in blending our spiritual and personal lives. Essentially, the vibes doctor. I would love to get in touch with the vibes doctor because my life is so fucked up right now. The material doctor is the guy who handles all the law of attraction stuff, the secret. But Reverend Dr. Phil warns us, Don't be too specific in your manifestations or you'll always be disappointed and get your material doctor's ass in a little twist. Then he mentions a karma teacher. I'm paraphrasing here because the spiritualists in Casadega were not able to export this Zoom call like they said they could because they are old and they live in Florida. But Reverend Dr. Phil says something like this. Instant karma does not exist. Forgiveness plays a part in the lesson the karma teacher gives. And it's here that he moves to an element of spiritualism and the spirit team that I take the most issue with, the concept of the Native American or Native Protector Guide. This is one of the most major red flags of spiritualist rhetoric that hasn't changed at all in the over century and a half that the religion has existed. And it's a topic that I'll be getting into in much further detail in future episodes. In short, This majority white religion frequently invokes images of a blend of tropes that are levied against indigenous Americans as guides and magical beings intended to guide them, the white colonizer and assumed protagonist. Given that there is a notable lack of indigenous members of the religion and that Casadega itself exists on seminal ground, this is tone deafness at best an act of perpetuation of stereotypes at the expense of the indigenous community at worst. It's worth mentioning that the volume of indigenous imagery that American spiritualism invokes at Casadega never references the violence committed toward that same community on the ground where spiritualism now struggles to survive. And we will be circling back to this in more depth in future episodes. But I mean, my God, Reverend Dr. Phil does expand the idea of a native teacher to be a spirit from anyone's country of origin. He said that if you are from England, this could be a druid spirit or a Viking and on and on. And it's this guide's duty to be a protective guide or to give you strength and, quote, courage to speak the spoken truth, unquote, as well as healing. More indigenous tropes pop up here. He says that, quote, they are close to nature, they work with the plant, animal, and mineral kingdom, and they use animal guides and totems, unquote. He arbitrarily says that you can have as many as nine spirits with you at a time, and I'm starting to honestly get claustrophobic to think of this many ghosts in a room with me at any given time. He takes a moment here to address the idea of spirit guides conceptually and how they might chafe with tenets of other religions, especially the Catholicism he grew up with. He said that he grew up with an imaginary friend who he later learned was a spirit guide, a little boy named, and please bear with me here, Tommy Tommy Chesselfire, who immigrated from England to the United States in the mid-1800s and was both kidnapped and raised by an indigenous tribe. I just... So, Tommy Tommy Chesselfire returned to Phil as a crystal guide, 
and my head is about to explode hearing this weird racist story when Reverend Dr. Phil drops another bomb and says that one of his spirit guides is J.P. Morgan. Like, the... Something interesting is that the more I get used to spending time with spiritualists, I hear 100 things like this a day that remove my brain from my spinal cord. He said that his spirit guide was J.P. Morgan and doesn't give anyone the opportunity to ask a single question. And to round them off, you've got your nurse guide and your joy guide. And mercifully, that's the whole team. That's a, it's a lot of guys. The master and the physician are your most important guides, but holy shit, that's a lot of guides. But the Reverend Doctor isn't just there to tell us who these guides are. His speech is on how to work with them. He guides us through this 15-minute guided meditation to meet someone, taking us through a pretty standard meditation. You're filled with divine light and close your eyes and walk down to a dune beach where you're joined by your spirit animal. You walk to the beach and your spirit guide pops out of a fire. You ask them a question. They give you an answer. And I'm happy to play along with this. I close my eyes. I go down to the beach and I see my grandma in the fire. I ask her how she is. And in my mind, she looks so happy and very beautiful. She asks me how my dad is and I say he's good. And then Reverend Dr. Phil instructs the spirit guide to go back into the flame on the beach that doesn't exist. And so she does. The meditation has you walk away from the beach, back up the stairs and into the temple. You open your eyes and Reverend Dr. Phil says to keep talking to our spirit guides, ask them questions and be patient and observant as they answer them over the course of weeks and months. He says to ask them for what you want. He says to ask them what their names are. And for all of the freaky, weird stuff and the Tommy Tommy Chesselfire and the J.P. Morgan of it all, that night I put my feet on the ground and ask my freaky, caped master spirit what their name is before going to sleep in the chlorine-stained sheets of a Super 8 in Orlando. I'm going to drink the Kool-Aid. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. 
So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are vaulting back in time. We're getting into our little hot tub time machine, people, and we're going back to 1848, where the first spiritualists, as it were, the Fox sisters, are two mediums, Kate Fox, middle schooler, and Maggie Fox, high schooler, are met with their eldest 30-something sister, Leah Fox, who's just arrived at the family home where her siblings are said to be speaking with spirits. By April of 1848, things had really started to pop off in Hydesville, New York. Every day, Maggie and Kate would bring through new information from the spirit doing the wrappings. It claimed to be the spirit of a shoe peddler, killed over the $500 to his name. And these answers started to yield, day after day, information that reflected the house's previous tenant. So there had been a renter of the Fox home named John Bell, just as the spirit had said. The spirit revealed that his name was either Charles B. Rosna or Rosma, depending on the source. And for the record, Charles B. Rosna or Rosma has never been confirmed as existing, at least by this name. It said that John Bell had once hired a shoe peddler, but for your reference, a Rosma never materialized in official records. But locals were captivated by him, and it's not surprising why. The majority of people assembled at the Fox home would have had a lot in common with Charles Rosna Rosma. They were working-class people themselves, often subjected to the John Bells of the world, getting fucked over by those with more money than they had. What was unfortunate, and would become one of spiritualism's first real ethical knots, was that John Bell was a real person who was being accused of murder by a spirit whose name no one could verify as a person who had ever existed. Later in her life, Maggie Fox reflected on this in a book written by Harry Houdini. Did I mention that Harry Houdini, the world's most famous magician, would later develop a vested interest in disproving spiritualism? Did I mention that he did that because he had an even more vested interest in undercutting the work of his former best friend, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who, before you start banging your head against the table, is indeed the author of Sherlock Holmes? Because, yeah, man, spiritualism's real weird. We haven't even gotten to the part where Frederick Douglass shows up. But Maggie Fox describes this first week of visits later in life. 
deflecting a little bit and saying that the discovery of John Bell was completely a notion of her neighbors. The firsthand accounts at the time chafe with this a little bit, but as you'll continue to learn, everyone's got their own story here. Maggie says, quote, They, the neighbors, were convinced that someone had been murdered in the house. They asked the spirits through us about it, and we would wrap one for the spirit answer yes, not three as we did afterward. The murder, they concluded, must have been committed in the house. They went over the whole surrounding country trying to get the names of people who had formerly lived in the house. Finally, they found a man by the name of Bell, and they said that this poor, innocent man had committed a murder in the house and that the noises had come from a spirit of the murdered person. Poor Bell was shunned and looked upon by the whole community as a murderer, unquote. Tough break for John Bell. But there were many in the community that discredited the Fox sisters from the start for this reason alone. But the draw of spirit was too much for most people to ignore. By the time their sister Leah arrived in the first week of April, hundreds were coming to the Fox home every day to witness the wrappings. In a move that would foreshadow where American spiritualism was headed, the neighbors wanted to know more from the spirit than what had happened to the deceased. They wanted to know about themselves or confirm things about the great beyond that they already knew or wished was true. This would eventually evolve into people seeking out their dead in particular. But in these first weeks, Hydesville neighbors were happy to quiz Charles Rosna Rosma on the specifics of their own lives. Communicating with the spirit became a bizarro community building activity. Neighbors would quiz the spirit on how many children they had, how old they were, their full names. They were almost definitely learning about each other as the spirit relayed the information. The questions were yes or no at first, but the girls quickly developed a somewhat more sophisticated system with the spirit, having it rap when certain letters were called. The spirit attempted to lead a neighbor with a candle to the cellar where they were buried, but digging hadn't begun before Margaret took the girls from the house for good, going to their neighbor's house for their own protection. During this time, the spirit also made its religious leanings known. It made no noise when asked if it believed in the universalist doctrine, then made a strong noise when asked about Methodism. It may not be a coincidence that Maggie and Kate's father, John, was a devoted Methodist. A week after the girls first called their mom to their room, half the population of Arcadia County, a few hundred people, came to the Hydesville house one night. It was the Fox sisters' first big crowd, but definitely not their last. The immediate community tried to guard the house and its spiritual integrity, all of a week old, from the masses that wanted to go inside and ask the spirit questions. At this time, Maggie and Kate were surrounded by the spectrum of what it could mean to be a woman in a time where the definition of women in society was changing. In one sense, they were about to bear witness to the Seneca Falls Convention and the fight for women's right going mainstream. On the other end, there was still the reality of day to day. Their options were to get married, like their sisters Elizabeth and Maria had. They could work in one of these newfangled factories or they could become a teacher in the way that their oldest sister, Leah, had to support herself and her daughter. Back at the house, Maggie and Kate's older brother, David, took charge of continuing the investigation of where Charles Rosma's spirit claimed his body was buried. After digging three feet, he hit an underground stream, stalling progress. 
and tried for days to get further, but weren't really able to, even as the crowds of hundreds continued to show up and show up and show up. Mary Redford, the neighbor, now convinced of the spirit's authenticity, started asking it bigger questions still. She told the local reporter that she, quote, asked if there was a heaven to attain and got three raps, unquote. An affirmative from the spirit, and an interesting one, as this would be significantly course-corrected in the years to come. As it's understood now, spiritualists believe in the continuity of life and not a Christian heaven or hell. Still, the neighbor received a different answer and pressed the spirit on what had become of a child who she'd lost. Almost right away, the locals were more invested in their own stories than what happened to some random shoe peddler who may or may not have existed five years ago. And the shoe peddler's spirit was happy to oblige. The community continued to attempt to identify where the wrappings were coming from, and many suspected fraud. By April 12th, local papers were fully engaged in the sensation. A paper called The Western Argus reported, quote, the good people of Arcadia, we learn, are in quite a fever in consequence of the discovery of an underground ghost or some unaccountable noise. Picks and bats were at once brought into requisition, and on digging down about four feet, a stream of pure water gushed forth and filled the ghost hole, unquote. Not the ghost hole. The room where the spirits were rapping in the fox house remained dark, and Maggie and Kate remained on the bed where they had first called their mother. Their family physician was summoned to the house by their father when Kate was said to have gotten sick, at which point the doctor reported that there had been, quote, great commotion in the room of his patient, snapping, cracking noises all about the bed. As fast as he changed places, the raps would do the same, unquote. He also mentions that he thought that Kate may be, quote, in some way manipulating the joints or muscles of the fingers, toes, and knees, unquote. Put a pin in that, or a bone crack. Manifesting spirit raps by dislocating their joints and muscles is a charge that will haunt the Fox sisters, unbeknownst to them now, for the next 40 years of their life, and will haunt the religion until right now. But even with light pushback from local residents and press, the local interest in the sisters and their spirit wrappings steadily increased and gained credibility when the family who had lived in the house before the Fox family came forward with similar charges. They told the press they had also heard the raps. Local reporter E.E. E. Lewis writes, quote, Hundreds have been there. Skeptics have first carefully examined the premises, have gone into the ghostly presence, still incredulous and disposed to treat the affair with levity, have held converse with the unknown one until the cold sweat oozing from every pore has coursed down their limbs and they have been compelled to acknowledge that they felt themselves in the presence of one from the spirit country, unquote. For good measure, he included a petition signed by more than 40 of the real-life John Bell's supporters, who insisted that he was not a murderer. But for all his thorough work, one thing Lewis never did was interview Maggie or Kate Fox. Barbara Weisberg, in her biography, mentions an interesting throughline about the Fox women, that being that they suffered from intense migraines their whole lives. Some suggest this led to an increased sensitivity to the supernatural, and others had other opinions. But Weisberg says that this manifests as a, quote, pain that can create a sense of standing outside oneself, of not being oneself, but another person altogether, unquote. 
Leah arrived and witnessed her youngest siblings working with spirit and saw how terrified her parents were and how her brother David was struggling to hold everything together. She suggested that the girls be separated. She would take Kate back to Rochester and Maggie would remain in Hydesville and they would see if the spirit followed. It did follow them both. By the end of summer 1848, the Fox sisters were notorious and had already left their father back in Hydesville, beginning to entangle with the progressive literati of Rochester. They were considered extraordinary, potentially leaders of science or religion or both. And they were young women forging their own weird path in a way that may not have been possible even 10 or 15 years before. And Leah, 10 or 15 years older, saw her younger sisters, saw the changing times, and saw an opportunity. All it was going to take was one little white lie to get the girls on board. And that lie was that everything was going to be okay. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, back to the present, or I guess the recent ghosty past. 
Services in Casadega take place at Colby Temple, named for the camp's founder. Colby Temple is the five billionth thing to be named for the formal founder of spiritualism, a big beige cement and wood church with the same wooden cabin interior that defines every camp building. It was first built in 1895, shortly after the camp was established. At first, an octagonal building where Colby himself, a well-known trance medium, would conduct services and seances. This was later rebuilt into the pale sand brick structure it is today. Not too pretty from the outside, but has a cozy congregational church vibe on the inside. There are about 40 people at the service on the morning I attend, and we're handed the same Xeroxed programs, blue hardcover hymnals, and sit in the same creaky pews as boomers talk too loudly that I associate the church I went to as a kid. But of course, there are differences. Healing is already taking place in the back of the church when I sit alone with my program and my hymnal. There are a number of students from the community who will be evaluated on their healing performance, and they're all lined up as those attending service sit with their eyes closed. A healing looks like someone slowly waving their hands, methodically energy healing, while the recipient reacts everywhere from nervous twitching, not being sold on it, or appearing deeply meditative and healed. Depending on what they write on the little yellow slips they'll be handed for the complimentary service afterward, a student could get one step closer or further from being recognized as a Casadega healer, a process that takes about three years. I flip through the program and I'm shocked at how familiar it is to the services I grew up attending. There is an invocation, there are candles lit, for mind, body, and spirit instead of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I mean, hell, the ceremony opens with a singing of Amazing Grace. A moment for the spiritualist hymnal. It is this fascinating blend of Christian hymns that do not reference heaven or hell, the two things spiritualism does not recognize. But you'd be surprised there's a lot of diet Christianity at play here. The service frequently invokes Jesus in the context of being a great spiritual healer, It does not shy away from the Christian hits, but it also sprinkles in a number of spiritualist hymn originals that lean more heavily on the idea of the religion specifically. Lines like... The singing is, the singing is. Running the service today is the first person I spoke with connected with Casadega, Pastor Deb, who encouraged me to visit the camp in spite of my not being quite cleared by the press board yet, and whose kindness extends through my trip and into the present. She is very, very familiar and kind in person. She wears a cross around her neck. She has these gold bobble earrings, short haircut, long blue navy sleeves, very pastoral. You know, you can tell she grew up Christian, and you can tell that she very, very firmly believes in spiritualism. At the front of the room, she leads us in a hallmark of a spiritualist church ritual, a moment in which the congregation recites the tenets of the church. 
which explains the core ideas of the religion more clearly than I ever could on my own. So let's let them explain themselves. We recite in unison. We believe in infant intelligence. We believe that the phenomena of nature, both physical and spiritual, are the expression of infinite intelligence. We affirm that a correct understanding of such expression and living in accordance therewith constitute true religion. We affirm that the existence and personal identity of the individual continue after the change called death. We affirm that communication with the so-called dead is fact, scientifically proven by the phenomena of spiritualism. We believe that the highest morality is contained in the golden rule. Whatsoever ye would that others should do unto you, do ye also unto them. We affirm the moral responsibility of the individual and that he makes his own happiness or unhappiness as he obeys or disobeys nature's physical and spiritual laws. We affirm that the doorway to reformation is never closed against any human soul here or hereafter. We affirm that the precepts of prophecy and healing contained in the Bible are divine attributes proven through mediumship. Then we read the prayer of spiritual healing from the back of our hymnal. Because in another nod to Christianity, spiritualists do remote healing for congregation members who expressed interest in the same way that Christians often pray remotely, especially during COVID times. I request healing for my immediate family who I love and for my haters who are very lost. Healers sanitize their hands between healings while the rest of us are guided by Pastor Deb in a guided meditation. Her voice is calming, assured, bringing energy in and out of the body as a dull music plays in the background, the vague humming of something spiritual happening. We sing another hymn, and it's rough. Spiritualists are not singers or organists, but it brings us to the speaker of the day. It's your boy, Reverend Dr. Don Zangi. He has Pastor Deb drop into his intro that, yes, he's been to Machu Picchu, okay? And he takes the podium in yet another incredible outfit. My man's wearing a black sweatband around his bald head. My sensei's got a cross around his neck. He's wearing a purple button down. He's got a burgundy pastor, quote, whatever this is called, the draping thing, unquote. I'll let him explain himself. So we talk about spiritualism. That's such a big subject. The, the characteristics of spiritualism go back way before 1848 when consciousness first dawned on humans. They be, started to realize themselves as humans. They realized that they were something bigger than themselves. And today we call it spiritualism. And so, yes, I've been here a long time, as long as Jerry. And I came here. I'd like to say I was a blank slate. I'm not even sure I was a slate. I knew nothing about nothing. We're all seeking something higher and better than ourselves. And for many of us, it starts with what spiritualism is about. And so, yes, I've traveled, I've done some things that involved in many other spiritual endeavors. But it starts with we don't die. That is basic to all esoteric and metaphysical teachings. It starts with that. And the only place I know that can prove that 
is spiritualism and this place right here because we're here to be here before the truth of what I'm talking about becomes evident. I've seen it. I've heard it. I don't believe it. I know it to be true. When spirit comes through, whether it's through a message or a reading, and you can't deny it, when spirit manifests in physical ways that you can't deny, when spiritual healing helps you, when perhaps no one else and nothing else can, your consciousness begins to open up. He also gets pretty anti-capitalist, Mr. King of the Dojo. He criticizes other religions penchant for taking, taking, taking money from its congregation instead of enriching their lives. Pay up, pay up. Cradle and grave. Gotta cost you something. But again, there's this element of Christianity included. This, I don't love Christianity, but... I'm not a big Bible thumper, but there's wonderful teachings in there if you know how to look. I kind of love Reverend Dr. Don, honestly. He has these phrases he'll use, stuff like, I've got 3,000 books and another one coming in the mail. And he describes the feeling of true faith in spirit of certainty. You know what I mean? He's a proponent of continual learning, of looking at other religions to see what is valuable about them to add to your own spiritual journey. He describes his spirit guides and how they change over time because people grow and change over time. Several times he puts God in quotation marks when talking about it. The service ends and we're encouraged to go to the message service down at the Andrew Jackson Davis building, the bookshop meeting hall hybrid, and I trickle down with the crowd. It's a solid half tourist, half regulars crowd that heads back down the street and into the gift shop where I flip through a copy of a book called Is Mother Nature Mad? before heading through the double doors to my first spiritualist message service. Here's how it works. There are five mediums and 40 people, all of us sitting in the hall at a long wooden cafeteria style table. It's kind of summer camp meets night class at 1230 in the afternoon, and we're surrounded by Casadega paraphernalia, a wooden sign declaring where we are, a framed copy of the spiritualist principles, framed black and white prints of their founders, photos from the 125-year celebration that took place a couple years ago, a few paltry cups of coffee that were room temperature long before we got here. How are you going to have a thriving religion without halfway decent coffee? I mean, guys, get it together. The room hushes as the events organizer introduces the service. This is the time where mediums come to the front podium like auctioneers, point at one of us and say, yes, spirit has a message for you then spends the next two minutes describing what the spirit looks like, what their relationship to you is, what their message is, all while tacitly confirming that it is resonating through nods of yes or no from the person listening. The yes and no is important, we'll get there, and each medium gets a turn. The room hushes as the first pastor takes the podium and begins. It's here where I start to put some general observations on how different mediums read differently. It has just as much to do with personal style as any other public speaking or art form does. This first pastor is gentle but direct in her delivery. Pastor Deb comes up and her voice is musical and she's very descriptive. It's kind of great how much description she gives. Oh, there's an old woman standing behind you with her hand on your shoulder. Do you know who I'm talking about? 
There's a lot of older women who show up in these readings as spirit because statistically, it's who you're most likely to be looking for. Grandmothers for the younger set, of which there are not many. The only people in their 20s have come with their parents or their me. And old women appear as deceased mothers for the more middle-aged people who are trying to make contact and sense of the people who raised them and then disappeared one day. It's during this session that if you made it through the ghost church service proper, your belief in what the spiritualists do is truly tested. Sure, you can say the tenets, but when someone comes to you with a spirit message, do you believe it or not? The reaction in the room, about 40 people again, mostly but not all white and middle-aged, about half tourist and half regulars, is generally positive but definitely mixed. You can tell when someone wants to be there to receive a message. They kind of lean forward in their seat a little. They're quick to answer the yes or no questions of whether it's resonating. They usually seem to have some sort of idea of who they want to contact. You can also tell when a skeptic is a believer's plus one, whether it's their friend, their spouse, their kid, their friend from college that is maybe curious, but sits back, legs crossed, takes a little more time to answer questions. Show me what you fucking got. Kind of energy. Sometimes they seem impressed with the specificity of who or what comes through, and other times their eyebrows rise a little if the message isn't resonating or appears too vague for their liking. Here are some of the spirits that come through at the message service. One says, I'm seeing an old woman behind you. She's a little sexy. One says, I'm seeing an older woman behind you. She's tall and looks all about business. Someone says, I'm seeing a man behind you and he's a soldier. He came up in the military and was served well by his experience in the military. Another says, I'm seeing a medium-sized dog running around and this makes someone burst into tears right away. Someone else says, he looks kind of like Gilligan. Does everyone know who Gilligan is? And the spirits aren't just described either. When you receive a standard message like this, the recipient will first get a description of the person in question and then a message from them directly. Stuff like this. One says, he's saying you're all play and no work. Do you have a job? Because you live for pleasure and it's not pleasure that's hurting anyone. It's bringing joy. So keep doing it. Another message I liked. They're telling me that you're not finished. There's a new venture and you need a big open sky and space, maybe some sort of trip. Some people cry. At least one really, really wants to understand but can't quite get there. How tall was the man standing there, she asks. How old was he? There's a child with him? Well, it could be this guy, but, well, no, that doesn't match up with the height you described. And no, I don't have any kids and haven't lost any kids close to me. There are people who want to connect but can't. And the earnestness with which one medium tries to meet her in the middle is interesting. When a message hits, it's exciting, and when it doesn't, it pings a little skeptic in my own brain. We were told at the beginning of the service to switch our phones off, so as not to introduce, whatever, cell phone waves into the air and interrupt spirit. But the mediums don't turn their phones off at all. They're on their phones while their peers are at the podium the whole time like they're stand-ups waiting to go on stage. Two of them show each other memes on their phones and giggle softly while a woman who came with her college friends receives a spirit message from a dead brother across the room. It's interesting. There's this contradiction going on right in front of us. 
But at the same time, it's kind of fun to watch mediums be friends and show each other memes while someone else talks to a ghost right next to them. And you know who's one of the seven people who does not get a reading in the entire room? Listener, it was me. And it's hard not to feel self-conscious about it. I'm sitting right in the front, and I can't tell if I'm being overly cautious by feeling that the mediums already know who I am, given my status of being under consideration by the PR committee that very well could be in the room with me right now. And I learn moments later, absolutely is. When the service ends, I approach Pastor Deb to introduce myself as she texts someone. She's got a lot on her plate. She's got an elderly parent. She's got a day job over an hour outside of Casadega. She's a pastor. She's a girlfriend. She's the head of PR. She's tired, but she's incredibly nice to me and is enthusiastic when I shyly introduce myself. This is not my strength in this world. I love people and I love learning about them, but the approach is not my strength. Deb tells me that everyone is exhausted from Gala Day, and those within earshot agree. But they raised over $6,000. It was a success, and it ties into what she told me on the phone a couple days before. There is an uptick in interest in the spiritualist camp and in the last year, potentially due to the mass loss of life with COVID. I want you to keep in mind that $6,000 is a big deal for this religion, all but an endangered species. We're standing in a hall that hasn't been updated in nearly 50 years, and there's not enough coffee and styrofoam cups or snacks to go around. Scientology, this is not. A religion that can really afford to court new members, this is not. I have significant PTSD with moms who have Pastor Deb's haircut due to my time in Mensa. You can reflect on that on your own time. Thank you very much. But Deb is extraordinarily nice and eager to introduce me to other members of the PR committee who are present, a list that is not publicly available. But not everyone here seems to share her enthusiasm for meeting me. There's one volunteer who isn't a medium that is extremely kind, kind of an alpha type who is in the middle of sweet-talking someone else, saying he can talk to me when it's approved, and one who is so nervous about my intentions that she crosses her arm and doesn't shake my hand when I reach out to her. The whole flurry is very quick, and Pastor Deb is on her phone for most of it, and so I try not to let it sink into my bones as the rejection by mediums that it feels like. It's one thing to feel rejected by someone, and it doesn't feel good. But it's another thing to be rejected by someone who believes that they are connected with a higher power and know whether your intentions are good or bad. This is an anxiety that will follow me through the entire week. If you're anything but completely skeptical, it's not just a rejection from a Floridian. It's a rejection from a Floridian and the entire fucking ghost realm. Ghosts that have their own opinions and ties to infinite intelligence. Over the course of the week, I see a number of mediums donate to Casadega on their way out of their services where they've just been volunteering. This is a clear community effort. It's the coffee hours of my youth with even less resources, no Dunkin' Donuts budget, plus a light smattering of talking to the dead. So now you have a better feel for what Ghost Church is about. There are some elements of diet Christianity, then they hit you with the spirit messages and the spirit teams and all of the elements of the religion that are considered to be unusual. But these elements don't come from nowhere. Both the Fox sisters in the mid-19th century and people in Casadega and other spiritualist sites right now 
informed their religious practices by pulling from elements of other religions and traditions, and especially from the concept of the seance. So next week, we're going to look at what that history is, how the spiritualists interpreted it to make it their own, and yes, I am going to have a full-on conversation with a table in Florida. All that, plus I walk 40 minutes to a gas station to get some Pringles, next week on Ghost Church. Oh, wait, and thank you to my uncle, Dennis Callahan. We will be hearing from him one more time. I'm not saying that there's a heaven or a hell. What I'm saying is there is something more than we are certainly aware of. It just doesn't make sense to me that all we have is life. And, and you know, if, I, I love atheists because those are the people that are really screwed. Because you don't believe in heaven, you don't believe in hell. And when you die, you ain't got fucking no place to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, Mormons, that's that's my biggest fear. My biggest fear is that Mormons had it right. Because I'll be like standing at the gates of heaven with an extra large coffee going, oh, fuck. All right, that's enough. See you next week. Ghost Church is a Cool Zone Media production created, written, and hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. Guest voices in this episode came from the wonderful Miles Gray and Daniel Goodman. The show is produced by Sophie Lichterman, edited by Ian Johnson. Our theme song is by Speedy Ortiz, that's Sadie Dupree, Andy Moholt, Audrey Z. Whitesides, and Joey Dubeck. The music is by Zoe Blade. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.